0: I want to bring you a word today about dependence. Not dependent, not children, but dependence. The opposite, if you will, the reverse of independence. I want to talk about being dependent. I thought it'd go over about like that, because everybody wants to shout about independence. And I think that this generation has a case of overload on independence. And I think what we've been through for the last 18 months has further solidified that we need somebody to talk to us about connection, about interdependency, about being dependent because we've had just about enough of independence. January 19th, think about this now. January the 19th the ninth actually in 2020 i want to talk to you though from john 19. i got to be professional so i have to take a text because everybody gets nervous if you don't take a text so here is your text john 19 28. after this jesus knowing that everything was now accomplished. I'll remind you that he is hanging between heaven and earth, suspended there, being impaled upon a Roman cross. He had done no crimes. He was guilty of nothing but love. He had been lied about. An insurrection had risen up against him because he was healing the sick. He was raising the dead. In fact, the book of Acts says in chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. He gave a blind man back his sight he stopped a woman who had had an issue of blood for 12 years and seen many many physicians but only grew worse day by day your bible says he cleansed three lepers of their leprosy in an instant When his disciples were rocking and reeling on the rebellious waves of the sea, he went walking to them in the third watch of the night and spoke to the wind and spoke to the wave and declared, Peace, be still. And the storms ceased their raging. He confounded the scribes and the Pharisees Now, that doesn't mean much in today's modern vernacular. The scribes were the lawyers. The Pharisees were the religious zealots of their day. Jesus confounded them all by the time he was 12 years old. This man... This blind man healer, this leper cleanser, this forgiving, loving, master, teacher was now impaled by four, four four-inch nails, one through each ankle on either side of that cross, one in the wrists of each hand. He is there wheezing and bleeding sighing and crying he is dying suspended but four feet off of the earth that in creation's dawning morning he himself spoke into being now the mouth that spoke blessing is swollen his lips parched and bleeding his tongue swollen blocking off his air passage to breathe his lungs have become a pool of blood soaking up not ordinary blood but spotless blood cleansing blood redeeming blood healing blood victorious blood that's where he is that is the scene from which i draw my text jesus seeing that everything had been accomplished so that the scriptures might be fulfilled he said two monosyllables i Thirst. Our nation was forever changed on January the ninth, twenty twenty. The World Health Organization salute in conspiracy. With the Communist Chinese Party announced what they claimed was a mysterious pneumonia that had broken out in Wuhan, China. Then on January 21st, 2020, 18 short months ago, the turning of the calendar and a few months into this year of 2021, the Center for Disease Control confirmed the first United States case of the pandemic that would become known as COVID-19. A Washington State resident was diagnosed after having returned to the United States from Wuhan, China, on January 16th. Now, none of us had any way to begin to prepare for the aftermath of that single W. HO and CDC announcement about a crowned virus. As of July the 2nd, two days ago, there have been 182 million cases of a virus that 18 months ago none of us had ever heard of. One hundred and eighty-two million people that we know of, infected by an airborne virus created in a laboratory by human persons there have been over now my statistic is wrong because it's two days old but two days ago there had been three million nine hundred and fifty four thousand three hundred And 24 deaths. So at this point, over 4 million people have succumbed to death in 18 months. Because in one laboratory, one created virus escaped. It was like 9-11, for those of you that remember, when we began to see this thing pick up momentum. People were in fear of their lives, fear of being in public, fear of eating from a restaurant, fear of every other person who could perhaps be a carrier of a death sentence. There have been 33,343 cases in the United States alone. There have been nearly 600,000 people who have succumbed to something that 18 months ago didn't exist. You may not have been infected, but you have been affected. Perhaps you know someone who during this period became so depressed so disillusioned, so fearful, so hopeless, that they took their own lives. Suicide has increased four times over in the last 18 months. How many of you know someone who passed away from or from complications of the COVID-19 virus, raise your hand, look around, virtually everyone. If you don't know someone who lost their life, chances are even higher that you know someone who was close to death. I can think of five friends immediately who were put on ventilators with very little hope of ever being removed there have been 600,000 deaths in the United States alone we saw things we'd never seen before churches churches houses of worship from synagogues to mosques to independent churches to the great Roman Catholic Church with its prestige, its power and its prowess closed. Never in our lives has it happened. Month after month after month for the first time in history, including who could forget the Easter Resurrection Sunday with church doors locked. Even today, virtually every single uh, professional Every single person who studies these types of things is telling pastors and priests and rabbis that they might just as well get used to, watch me, the new normal. Virtually no house of worship in America or the world are back to normal and the experts say get ready it will never be that way again grocery shelves how soon we forget grocery shelves were empty here's an attention sign in the local grocery store due to high demand these items will be limited to two per customer two loaves of bread two rolls of paper towels one case of water one gallon of milk and during that time we gave away an ocean of fresh milk from this parking lot in columbus and from the parking lot in Elkhart, Indiana. Do you remember? Do you remember that people were making homemade concoctions for disinfectants? Everybody had those little bottles of disinfectant in every pocket. I saw one lady, when we first got back to church, she came in the foyer And she had a bottle of disinfectant spray. And as she walked in... It would be funny if it wasn't so tragic. Your children, little children, from neck to eyeballs, covered up. Do you know, woman, One of the main characteristics of children on the autism spectrum is that they are unable to discern facial expression. We've spent 18 months in a form of autism, not knowing if we were being frowned at, smiled at, or somebody sticking their tongue out at us not knowing if they were angry, not knowing if they were happy, not knowing if they were in pain. Those items, like toilet paper. It was dangerous to walk outside with toilet paper people will rob you to take care of their unmentionables. They were in fear. I still have that sense often of streets and cities which had developed an an eerie apocalyptic Aura. I remember sitting in the parking lot of a a great theater and there was a Bed Bath & Beyond there and there was a Barnes & Noble booksellers there and there were ice cream shops there and usually it was difficult to get a parking space and I remember sitting there in my car watching things blow across a deserted parking lot where a month before, there were hundreds of cars and thousands of people. It felt like we were in some kind of horror movie. Facial expressions hidden behind those masks for months on end. We were void of virtually any and all human contact and interaction not for a day or two but for a very very long and significant period of time for the first time in our lives no sporting events bless their hearts the national professional athletic teams scurried to put up, cut out pictures of people in the stand and piped in the cheer. There are some Sunday mornings around here, I wonder if that might not be a good idea. There were no sporting events, no weddings. No family reunions. I don't know how Medea got along. No family reunions. We watched in horror, didn't we? All of us as huge convention centers and beautiful and powerful Navy ships were repurposed into hospitals. Cruise ships were sequestered offshore, filled with the sick and the dying required to remain there. Fear. Fear of the spread of this new and dark specter of death. Refrigerated truck lined up, filled with the bodies of those who had lost their lives that day because there was nowhere to place them in the morgue. The morgues had overflowed in America, the greatest nation on earth. Brought to her knees by something you cannot even see. Your life changed. Your family changed. Your children changed. Your church changed. Your employment changed. Your schooling changed. Your thinking changed. There were no funerals. Think of that. Millions. Some of our precious staff lost family members. And I said, well, we'll get your ticket to go to be with your family. Tears filled the eyes there. There will be no funeral. An apocalyptic, eerie world had taken over. No family burials. The dying, the dead were forced, forced. I will say it again for emphasis, forced. To be separated from their precious families. 85-year-olds, 92-year-olds dying without the touch of a friend or a family member. Nursing homes became killing fields. As politicians purposefully sent infected individuals away from the hospitals and into the nursing homes. That's criminal. Separated family members were forced to grieve outside holding up signs just praying that behind their mass, their family member who was laying on a deathbed waiting to be placed on a ventilator if a ventilator became available. We were suddenly, without warning, we were separated. Stay six feet away from everybody. I don't imagine there was much procreation going on during that time, except the leading health authority told us it would be fine to cohabit with those of whom we do not share the marriage bond. That would be okay, but make sure you wear three masks. It's amazing what sheep we are. I'll remind you of a message I preached very recently about Judas goats. Just because someone is leading doesn't mean they know where they're going. government health officials at every level politicians from the president's office down to the local dog catcher held press conferences every day that airtime was invaluable for re-election businesses closed many of them will never open again millions upon millions many of you many of you listening and watching lost your job those who still were fortunate enough to have a job as perhaps they were deemed essential who made that decision you must have your employees work from home it'll be fine we were told as every business owner knows the moment the employees went home to work in their blousy pants from the waist down and their necktie from the waist up they knew we all knew that American efficiency would decline, and decline it did over 40% across the board. That means every hour worked was only worth 23 minutes. Our homes, you know what a home is supposed to be, don't you? Well, it's not supposed to be your home, and your office, and your school, and your house of worship, and your entertainment. That doesn't work. We became separated. We were, watch, disconnected. We were cut off. We were abandoned. We were alone in ways we've never, ever been before. And God bless every official, every health care worker, every truck driver, every first responder, every doctor and every nurse, nurse who risked their lives every single day. There was no rest for them. What heroes. And hopelessness attempted to bury every single one of us. Now, I'm to my point. As believers, look at somebody next to you and ask them, Are you a believer? As believers, our coming together is not only vital, but my dear brother and sister, it is commanded. Okay, i got four of you to agree with me. (laughs) Hebrews 10, 25 shouts it. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Now, he wasn't talking here about gathering together with all due respect when you can get to a church Because you'd just rather lay in bed and watch church. That wasn't possible when he said this, you understand. And even the more so, as you see the day approaching, when one single virus can escape from one single lab, two-thirds of the way around the world, and within days bring the greatest nations on earth to their knees, including you. We are known as the body of Christ. Just allow someone to sever your arm from your body and see how useful it is sitting at home watching television. The body of Christ is all about connectedness that cohesive unity is imperative it is compulsory required of us all it's our faith and our faith applied to every single other aspect of our lives that gives every one of us a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose. Do you know why people are taking their lives? They feel no purpose. A screen on a device will never take the place of the smile in person of a friend. God designed every single one of us, watch me, you're not going to like this, to need each other. Boy, if we should ever realize that, it should be now. We are completed. We are made complete, your Bible and mine says, by that which every joint, every one of us supplies. That means if you are not here, We are out of joint. We are separated. Then and only then do our lives have true meaning. You know, they tell me, I don't know because I've never been incarcerated, but I can imagine it that the most brutal part of any incarceration is the separation. Not only the separation, But the worst of all, when you are in solitary confinement, people lose their minds in solitary confinement. I had a very good friend that was placed in solitary confinement for three months halfway through the second month, he lost his mind and began to punch the walls. He broke every single bone in both of his hands. And since he was in solitary, they refused to treat him. So his hands, every broken bone froze. And when they brought him out, they took him into surgery And they took hammers and broke all of those bones again so they could be said. Oh, I can do it myself. I don't need anybody. Separation from each other is the cruelest form of spiritual punishment. If you are separated, you are under attack. Need I remind you that it is always the first banana that leaves the bunch, that gets peeled. This, hear me, hear me. If you hear nothing else, hear this. This must not, cannot become our new normal. We must free ourselves from it. We are eternally dependent upon each other to live the kingdom life that Jesus died to give us. Now certainly, certainly I'm a staunch advocate of those who named the name of God Almighty and are born again of His Spirit. I certainly believe that we must have the strength of an independent spirit. Listen closely. At times this Christian life of ours, believe me, can be very, very isolating, very, very lonely. Let me slip this in on you. That's all our fault. Because of our condemning attitudes. And our judgmental. And our holier than thou. Attitudes. And action. It's quiet. It's absolutely true that we are supposed to be battle-ready soldiers. It's true that we are supposed to seek out our own salvation in fear and trembling. It is our birthright to be self-sufficient. I mean, after all, nobody likes a crybaby who's 30 years old always crying always whining always blaming always making excuses it's always somebody else no wonder no one wants to be around you they're afraid you'll blame them next we must be people of steadfast resolve We must have a backbone. We must be able to stand on our own two feet. We must have resolve. We must have strength of character. We should never, ever ask somebody else to help us to perform tasks that were assigned to us. Tasks that are our responsibility not only before men, but before God. I acknowledge full well, as I'm sure you do as well, the Apostle Paul's admonition to the young Timothy and to all of us, it's recorded in 2 Timothy chapter two and verse three, we are to endure hardness. We are to pull ourselves up like the cowboys I love to watch in my black and white Western movies by our own bootstraps. However, here's the point. Somebody say, This is the point. Don't miss it. If we push those truths, beyond the boundaries created by God himself to create boundaries through his word for balance in our lives that will surely lead us to arriving at a false and perilous conclusion. A conclusion that says God's kingdom is established on the premise of the survival of the fittest. Well, why should I go invite them to church? They know the truth. Why should I make a phone call or send a text or an email to a friend, to a family member, to an associate with whom I used to worship and just ask them, how are you doing? Just leave them isolated. Just leave them cut off. They're not my responsibility. I'm going to do well to make it to heaven myself. I doubt you will. This is not the survival of the fittest. Or 99% of us would never have made it to this point because we're not all that spiritually fit. And we're not designed by God to be that way anyway. We must never ever fall victim to creating a Christian life which is akin to the shuttered and sheltered, sequestered life we've all experienced over the last 18 months. None of this is normal. There's far too much at stake. I'm almost finished. There's far too much at stake for taking that risk, including becoming dominated by the crippling virus of all spiritual things, that demon called pride. Its voice is clear in statements and attitudes like, I don't need anyone. I can do it by myself. I don't even like people. Did you know who you just said you didn't like? Those created in the image of God, you claim you, sir. Redeemed by the blood of Christ. Just like you. Jesus died for them. same as he died for you. To hell with your piety. To hell with your position. And your title. A lot of you are going to lose yours. The pastor giveth, the pastor shall taketh away. Let's always, let's forever remember that while we must at times hear this, feel the pain, the discomfort of dwelling on this cursed planet. People lose sight of it. You're not cursed, but this planet is. Everything about it. What in the world are we doing trying to create, gain a function to make deadly viruses adopted out of the bodies of bats other than to kill other human beings? What are we doing? They weren't studying that to make some new medicine. Gaining a function is to have something that is negative, that will kill a colony of bats, and figure out a way to introduce it to the human population. Wake up, wake up, wake up. This planet is cursed. We live upon it, we feel the effects of it. We see and experience its hatred, its venom, its bigotry, its pain, its trouble, its tyranny. But watch this. With it all for us, God always eases the torment by supplying us with those who are dispatched To ease our suffering by extending to us strength, comfort, encouragement, prayer, a smile, a touch. Think of it this way every one of us is going to stand before God to give an account of the deeds done in our flesh, of our sins of omission, of our sins of commission our thoughts, our motives, our actions, our inactions. But remember this, at that moment, we will be accompanied to God's judgment seat by the advocate of all advocates, Jesus Christ the righteous, our savior, our redeemer. Give him praise, give him glory. He never leaves us alone. Ah, Turn your attention now very, very quickly, very, very quickly. Let's turn our attention to the living Christ, not only our advocate, our redeemer, but our highest example of kingdom life on earth. I see him, I hear him teaching us from the mountain of his greatest experience. From the apex of his greatest human suffering, his greatest abandonment, his greatest agony. I see him there bolted, bare, and bleeding upon that rugged rail. I see him suspended between heaven and earth, impaled upon his cross. And I hear his words from that biting beam. They're recorded in John nineteen twenty eight. It was my text. I thirst. What? What? You told me he commanded the winds and the waves. You told me that without a boat, he walked on the water. You told me that he commanded the elements of earth. And now here he is. What's he doing? What volumes of truth What volumes of training are expressed from those swollen lips and that parched tongue in those two single monosyllables. If ever there had been an example, an illustration of independence, it was surely Emmanuel, God with us. God in an earth suit, the creator, the king, the commander of the worlds and all that in them are. But listen again. I thirst the king of glory himself is reaching out He's humbling himself He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free And yet he humbles himself to ask for help I have a question, you who suffer in silence, battling depression, battling oppression, battling fear, problems in your marriage, problems with your children, but you dare not ask for help because of the condemning spirits of those who claim his name. suffer no more with your mental infirmity it's no different than a broken arm or a bad bowel stop suffering hello romans 14:7 defends the request of our humble savior For none of us lives to himself. Boy, there's a text for you. For none of us lives to himself and no man dies to himself. Not even the son of man, the son of God. There's more. John 4, 7. Where the Lord Jesus himself requested, asked for the same thing from a woman of Samaria. As he asked her, will you give me a drink? He created the oceans. With his own finger. Traced courses for the river Nile. And Euphrates. And he's asking a little adulterous woman for a drink. How belittling. Except in that moment, he made a connection. A staggering stone, stone stone-clad connection. He is asking something from me. I have the ability to do something for him. What worth that gives me. What status. I am the king's cupbearer. And in as much as you have done it, To the least of these, you've done it to me. Well, he even pronounced a judgment upon those who would refuse his request and deny his humble asking when he says in Matthew 25, 35, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. Or in Matthew 25, 42, I was thirsty, I was home. I was alone, I was hurting, I was bruised, I was lonely, I felt rejected, I felt unwanted, I felt uncared for, and you refused to give me a drink. Seeing that posture of Jesus of Nazareth is an amazing thing. The possessor of everything. Yet depending upon someone else for the most important necessity of life on earth, a drink of water. How that should compel us to love him. To allow us to become a participant with him. In him, through him, and by him. He's literally saying, I need you to live. We're all by God's design dependent on each other. Our Creator God was by no means required to put forth that design, but he did so for one reason, to give you and me standing, to give us respect, to give us dignity. There is something I can give that is worthy to be received by the Prince of Glory. Had the Lord Jesus not lived by that example, among men of earth we never would have seen what life is supposed to be here on this blue marble planet the life lived here this preacher neither totally dependent nor totally independent we are rather compelled by scripture and by the example of the Lord Jesus Christ to live lives completely and entirely interdependent with God and with men. Jesus constantly asks for help. Do you? Will you? Shame is your greatest barrier. Fear its twin brother. I will be rejected I will not be accepted I will be belittled I will be less than He asked for help from 12 Then he asked for help from 70 Then he asked for help from 120 He asked a little boy for his lunch He asked for a few loaves and a couple of fish. He asked for an ass and a donkey, for those of you more sensitive. He asked the apostle Peter, here's a good one. The owner of a thousand hillsides and all the cattle thereon asked Peter to go fishing. Peter was a fisherman. Peter, go fishing and go pay my taxes. Anybody like for me to pay your taxes? The ones clapping are the ones that actually pay taxes. He asked someone to pay his taxes. He was walking down a dusty road and saw Zacchaeus You went to Sunday school, didn't you? Hey, Zacchaeus, come on down from that sycamore tree and take me over to your house and let's hang out together. From his cross, he asked not only for water, but he asked John to take care of his mother. When he went into the grave, he asked for a boat. So did I. None of you showed up. So I had to buy it myself. He asked, hear me, for companionship. Are you too busy for hurting people? Are you too wrapped up in you and your four and no more? He also asked for solitude. His entire life, was a master class in the subject of modeling for you and me how much we need each other. God created us to help, not to hurt each other. Not to hurt each other by separating from each other and by ignoring each other. Without service to each other, there can never, ever be the fullness of the joy that God created us to live in. His cross reached upward. His cross reached outward to us. And in the same manner, we must reach up to him. But we must never forget to reach outward, to connect with each other. Listen now. This is my closing. I want you to listen. I want you to listen very, very, very closely for the most faint reverberation of those two monosyllables upon your heart and ears. I thirst. Where's it coming from? I thirst. Say it. I thirst. Say it. Look at somebody next to you and say it. Say it. Don't giggle. Say it. Say it again. I thirst. thirst. That, that, That sound is coming from some wounded heart, some broken spirit, from a cheerless cheerleader. I thirst. from a lonely little league acting out in rebellion and swearing like a drunken man. Don't hear that. Inside that, there are these words. I thirst. You seem someone angry. Anger is always a secondary emotion. Usually it's coming from a hurt or broken heart. But we don't hear the I thirst. I thirst. I thirst. If God would so adjust our hearing, what would we be hearing right now? From the person in front of us. From the person behind us. What would you hear as you drive down your street? Somebody was thirsty, but no one met their need, and a life was taken. A home was burned. A business looted. A car stolen. A cheat on their taxes. I thirst. I thirst. Someone was rude. I thirst. I thirst. Perhaps it's coming from an abandoned wife. Perhaps it's coming from a fearful father. Maybe from someone that lives in your home. Maybe from one of your children, maybe from your spouse, I thirst, can you hear it? I thirst, please, please hear me today. Please don't require them to repeat it. Please don't suffer them to have to shout it. They don't have the strength. They're dying. Without it. I thirst. That's why I lay with men. I thirst. That's why I view the filthy filth. I thirst. Let's determine to listen. Let's determine to listen with great intensity and then to give to them with great generosity what they need. A drink of living water. They're thirsty. And you and I can give them drink. Look at someone next to you right now and say, I need you. Look at somebody else and whisper those words and don't act like you don't. Somewhere this morning, you're thirsty. Someone's hurt you. Someone's offended you. Someone's bruised you. Possibly even physically. Here's what I know there's thirst everywhere. And there's supposed to be proceeding out of every one of us from our belly, rivers of living water. Whew. I'll give you this one little illustration. I first preached it in my early twenties. Haven't thought about it for several decades. It was actually from a picture that I saw. On the bottom of the picture, hell was depicted. And on the top of the picture, heaven was depicted. The scenes were exactly the same. A huge banqueting table going off into infinity. Every kind of delicacy and deliciousness that you could imagine. There was something strange about the painting. The only thing that seemed out of place was that every person had attached to their hand at that great banquet table a six foot long fork and knife. The only distinguishing characteristic between heaven and hell, the people in hell were emaciated. It was clear they were starving. As they tried to get their food and bring it to their mouth, but they couldn't. And they were starving. Oh, the picture of heaven was exactly the same. Same six foot long fork and iron. But the people in heaven We're feeding each other. Who are you feeding? You are your brother's keeper. And when they hurt, we're commanded to hurt. And when they're afraid, we're commanded to minister to them. And when they're bruised, we are required to place upon them the balm of Gilead. Can you hear them? I'm dying of thirst. Just a smile, just a text, just an encouragement, just, and I love your hair, because I do. Instead of looking down your nose at someone like me who happens to have a tattoo, which is really none of your concern. Why don't you compliment something you don't even like? Wouldn't that be an exercise in humility? Wouldn't that be an exercise of Christ likeness? Because there was nothing about you for Him to love. But He loved you anyway. I'm trying to preach up in here. We are dependent on each other. That's why I had them prepare Holy Communion for you today. And I'm not going to receive it in the building. I gave it to you to take home. Because I want you to think about it. And when you receive his body. And when you receive his blood. Quietly. Humbly. Respectfully. Ask him to let you hear the people around you whispering, I thirst. That's what he said. And gave up the ghost. Don't let them perish. You know somebody that should be in church today. You know someone who's been offended, who's become complacent, with church canceled for months on end. You know somebody that's slipping in to that kind of posture. I don't need anybody. I don't need to go there. I don't even like people. You have to get connected. God made you that way. You have to find a place to serve those who are saying I thirst in this church. You're called to do that. My goodness, we have assignments that are nothing more to stand somewhere in this building and smile at everybody that comes by. You can do it. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for every person. Here, branch campuses, City of Harvest, around the world. Thank you. May on this Independence Day, we renew our dependence upon you and upon each other. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.